2: Children, children, can you hear that sound? Isn't that my tinnitus? Come closer and listen to a tale about a man with a belly like jelly. With suspected metabolic syndrome. Wearing a red coat, fur collar and cuffs.
1: Which is really a high grade compression suit designed to withstand high G-forces. Carrying a lofty sack. Scrotal carcinoma. With a joyful gruff laugh. Pulmonary edema due to acute altitude sickness.
2: This man... Being a shill of Coca-Cola for many years is, of course, Saint Nick, affectionately known as Santa Claus. Welcome everybody to the Christmas episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today we are doing something slightly different. We're still talking about the human body and physiology, but today we're talking about the human body of somebody very specific, somebody somebody close to our heart, Matt. Saint Nick. St. Nick, Santa Claus. We all love Santee and uh, as we're approaching Christmas, I think it's really important for us to talk about Santa Claus. His
1: physiology. His physiology. How he stays alive. Well, yeah, I think once you... Is this his favourite time of the year or his dreaded time, do you think, based on what we're going to talk about? I
2: think we should talk about it and then (laughs) in our final discussion and conclusion, we can determine whether we think Santa Claus is... Enjoying uh, this, this or not? Yeah. This uh, Christmas period or not. So, Matthew, do you want to give us a quick run through as to the timeline of Santa Claus on Christmas Day and what his tasks are? And then we can sort of dissect it and have a look at what's actually happening uh, to his sleigh, to his body, uh, and how he's actually trying to withstand and resist some of these excessive forces on his physiology.
1: All right, so um, I think he lives in North Pole, so that's where he resides, three hundred and sixty-four days of the year. Yeah, um, I can't really tell you much more. All right, there you go, ladies that. and gentlemen. Yeah. There's yeah. the podcast. In terms of his dwelling or what he does during the rest of the year. Yeah, uh, he's making f- presents, man. Yeah. Okay, all right.
2: The now- elves specifically. So I think he's actually resting because he needs the rest after that. This. One Christmas Day. Yeah,
1: good point. So what he needs to do, his task for Christmas Day or Christmas Eve really, right? Yeah, from Christmas
2: Eve to Christmas, yeah, morning I suppose.
1: He needs to uh, deliver presents to children. Now what? what's your cut off age here? I've put it as 14. Yeah, that?
2: 14 years. Let's That's, say 14 years. Yeah. We need, ladies and gentlemen, we, or I should say dear listener, uh, we need some cutoff periods. <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing a lot of uh, uh, number crunching in this episode, uh, as you'll soon find out. And so we need some hard cut-offs. So obviously there might be some 14-year-olds out there that don't believe in Santa Claus, God forbid, have no idea why. But <laughs> we're going to use 14 as our cutoff date for the children that Santa Claus delivers presents to.
1: Okay, so based on that age, I think we're just popped over 8 billion people worldwide recently, right? Wow. That was yeah. just a, a recent milestone. But if we're looking at age in age brackets, for under the 14 years of age, there's about 2 billion children worldwide. Now, when we calculate, um, if we try to stratify those children into who's likely to celebrate Christmas, so these would be Christian more, more so, about 31% of the world are Christians. So that then brings the number down to approximately six hundred and twenty million kids.
2: So he needs to de- deliver presents Christmas Eve to six hundred twenty million children. Children, that's right. Right now, but th- they all don't have separate homes, right? There's not one child per home.
1: Correct. So there's approximately three point five kids per household on average. Right.
2: Who's got the half kids? Um, good point. Good, and which good, half? Yeah,
1: that's
2: right. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter. So three point- pro- yeah. So three point five children per home per household. So yeah. how many households so that does he then need to visit?
1: Leads, yeah, that leaves him. Um, he needs to visit one hundred seventy-seven million, one hundred forty-two thousand, eight hundred fifty-seven households. Okay. Well, let's just
2: round that up to one hundred seventy-seven million homes. Happy with that. that? He needs to visit, and so
1: if we take into consideration all the time zones, right? How Actually, many? Can I just butt in here quickly? Mm. We do know that he only comes to well-behaved children. So what happens True. to the naughty kids? They get we, coal uh, usually, don't do, they? <laughs> do we bring the number? Oh, sorry, he still has to deliver something to them. Yeah, he has to oh, deliver okay. something. So, so it's what, either presents or coal. Now, uh, one it, thing I did just think of, Yeah, and you might be able to answer this because you're from a Serbian background. Now, Serbians are Orthodox Christians. Correct. Is that a different... Christmas Day.
2: Christmas uh, is in January for us. Okay. Yes. So you could. So, so there we. Th- yeah, you could theoretically say that a certain percentage of the uh, population that he needs to visit occurs on a different day. Yeah. But look, for simplicity's sake, Christmas Eve, twenty fourth of December. This <laughs> is when 22th. he's delivering all these right. presents, right? All right. So what so,
1: time does he have to deliver it?
2: Well, look, if we take all the time zones into consideration, and he plans this out well. Yeah. He's probably got a, around about a thirty-six hour time window right. to be able to deliver all these presents to one hundred seventy-seven million homes. Now, if we do the maths here, which is one hundred seventy-seven million divided by thirty-six, yes, that gives you how many per hour. Yes, yeah, so he basically uh, he has to visit one thousand three hundred sixty-five houses per second. Okay, right. So he's, busy, busy man. Yeah. So basically, he has. One one-thousandth of a second per house. Per house. Okay. To, to deliver. Pre- now, ladies and gentlemen, this is obviously within something that Santa Claus can do. He's got the power to do this. Yeah. He's just travelling extremely quickly. He's been quickly
1: preparing this for the whole year. Oh, yeah.
2: He's, he's moving quick. He's moving quick. But let's just say now he has arrived at his first house
1: and… What is he going to do? Yeah, what's he going to do? Well, this is what I've calculated. He parks on the roof. Right. Okay. Hops off his sled. Descends the chimney, finds somewhere in the household where the uh, stockings are or under the Christmas tree, then goes back up to the chimney, back on the sled, off he goes to the next house.
2: So what distance do you think is covering just in a particular house? 20 metres.
1: I calculated it. Okay. So
2: so you're saying that obviously in the sleigh he's travelling further distances but by foot Santa Claus Mm -hmm. is travelling 20 metres per house. Yes. And is visiting 177 million houses.
1: Yep. Yep. Right. So that's, that's a so hell of a distance. He, him personally, in terms of exercising, is about 27Ks a second. Do you okay. want to do it? What do you want to keep it? Per hour? Should we do, move it up to hours? What is he doing per well, hour? Well, I mean, if,
2: if he's covering 20 metres per house and is visiting 177 million houses, he's basically covering on foot 3.5 million kilometres. For the whole night. The whole night. Yeah. So so he's not just running a marathon here. A lot of them. He's running m- many marathons.
1: But let's just pull it back to per hour because I think that's easier to calculate expenditure, energy expenditure and so forth because, you know, when we do certain things we usually look at per hour. How about that? Yeah. So what I calculated is he's doing just under 100,000 kilometres per hour in terms of energy. Well, not energy expenditure but how much he's jogging. Okay, so then what we can do is work out how much distance or sorry how much calories would a person burn per kilometer of just jogging are you happy with that? I, I kind of found the calculation around 70 calories per hour yeah per kilometer should I say what do you think
2: so he so basically a person when running comfortably yeah. not at high speed which he is but when running comfortably they're burning yeah 60 to 70 calories. Per kilometre. So, if he's travelling 177 million kilometres... Oh, sorry. If he's travelling um, 3.5 million kilometres... Yep. ...times 60, 70 calories... How many calories is he burning in a night? 250 million calories a night. All right. So, he needs... That's, that's a lot of calories. Yeah. I mean, I think I probably burn a couple of thousand calories a day. Yeah. He's doing this in a 36-hour time window... Um, I need to eat a fair bit of food to replenish that. So to replenish, what, 200-odd million calories,
1: what's he, what's he eating? Do you think he's just been carb-loading or do you think he needs nutrition along the way?
2: I think he needs something to top him up on the way. But I think we also know that when he's down that chimney, uh, <laughs> once, once he moves through and he's navigating his way to the Christmas tree or the stockings, usually we leave him a glass of milk and some cookies, right? Yeah.
1: Do you, know where that, do you know where that tradition came from? No. Um, it really just dates not that long ago to the Great Depression in America where um, Christmas, at least for giving gifts, it was seen um, historically more as giving rather than receiving. Right. So historically, at least what I came across, it, it f- I found that um, stockings were pre-filled and they were actually presents for Santa. Oh. So he would bring presents but we would also give presents to him. And in the Great Depression, about the 1930s in America, um, things were quite dire and so some of the things... Yeah, I can
2: tell by the name. Some
1: of the the things that were left out were just like a bit of milk and a couple of probably stale cookies. Wow. Um, So like you said, that's become the tradition. Yeah. And so usually what's left out for Santa is a couple of cookies and some milk. Um, Do you want me to... Okay, so let's just say... We need to think about this. So he's. So we're trying to work out how does he? Well, he's going to um, overcome this 250 million calorie deficit for the night.
2: Yeah. So he obviously needs to get calories in. Yeah. And I would say the easiest way is to you know not spend the money himself. He doesn't have the time. First of all, he can't visit. Seven but level. also the money to buy that many calories. Luckily, people are living out milk and cookies. So I would say let's just say that per household. He drinks half a glass of milk. It never finishes them. Never finishes them. It. Always half done. So he drinks half a glass of milk and maybe has one cookie.
1: Yep. Per household.
2: So let's start with the milk, right? Okay. So that's half a glass of full cream milk. Do you reckon he needs the I, full I, cream?
1: I've done full cream just to make it simple.
2: Okay, so he's half a glass of full <laughs> cream milk. Let's hope per it's household not lactose intolerant for one hundred and seventy-seven million houses. Yeah, imagine that. Maybe that's part of the uh, the jet engine that's on the sleigh. All right. So, how much milk is he ingesting here, Matt?
1: Uh, about 88 million glasses of milk and I've just calculated the glasses to be 250 240 mils which is essentially a, a standard cup so how many li- how many liters does that end up being uh, 22 million liters of milk <laughs> so then when I had I had a quick look at uh, milk consumption in the world right so um, this is just by gross consumption. The country that leads the world in gross consumption of milk is what do you reckon?
2: Oh, look, I would have to say the United States. They come third. Oh, yeah. Um, China? No, in, India.
1: India. India. So they don't eat the cow, but they do drink the milk. Yes, and 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 a lot of their teas are heavy in milk. Like oh, a lot of the mil- a lot of the tea itself, like the chai tea, is predominantly all milk. Oh wow. Okay. Opposed to you know mostly water with a bit of added milk. In India, a lot of the chai is all milk. So that's my assumption of where a lot of the milk gets put in. So but India has. This is, consumes this is purely a lot of milk. milk. This is not just dairy products. This is mm. pure, purely milk. So that's calculated to be 83 million litres is consumed in India. The EU, not really a country, but that's 24 million litres. And America, 21 million litres okay. of <laughs> milk consumed. How many
2: litres is Santa consuming? 22 again? million.
1: So he's pretty much between the EU and America. So what you're
2: saying that. In a 36-hour time window, Santa Claus is drinking as much milk as the entire United States does. In one year. <laughs> okay. Yep. So I, I can, I'm can i starting to understand uh, his his big belly. <laughs> so I get
1: that. But obviously he's getting calories. Do we know how many calories from that milk? Yeah, so um, milk is 87% water right. and 149 calories per cup of, cup of milk. Right. Like 240 mils of milk. Now I haven't done much more with that because I've decided to focus on calcium. All right. So the calories I'll throw to you a bit later because you can work out if he's in cal uh, in calorie deficit or in excess. Yeah. But I'll jump to, or did you want to do that now with the cookies?
2: Let's do cookies. So we're talking about his caloric. So how many calories did you say he's burning from, uh, uh, yeah. From, from moving. We'll just say
1: 250 million.
2: Okay. 250 million calories. Uh, all right. If we look at the cookies, now how many calories did you say in the glass of milk? Per per yeah. cup, per 149 cup. calories. Okay, 149 calories. All right. Per cookie, and he's having one, is about 80 calories per cookie. So if we think about this, 80 calories per cookie times 177 million homes, he's ingesting 14 billion 160 million calories in cookies. So that right? again, he's ingesting 14 billion 160 million calories okay. of chocolate chip cookies which are the most popular cookies on the planet right now if you then add the milk to that uh, you could probably just double that number in a to be rough yep. right so let's just say he's ingesting something like 16 billion calories just from the milk and cookies that he's ingesting now that Far exceeds the calories he's burning from running up and down the chimney and through the house and so forth. Uh, he's actually maintaining and holding on to a huge amount of calories, which I assume's going to be ultimately turned either stored as glycogen. So he's probably got <laughs> a, a big very big liver and huge muscle tissue to be able to hold on to that glycogen because uh, he's running very quickly, which we'll get to in a sec. Through, and to be honest, the he's house.
1: probably also... Scaling down the chimney up and down, which requires a bit more calorie burning than just jogging. Yeah, probably right, but probably still isn't burning the uh,
2: the sixteen uh, the the sorry the thirty odd billion calories that is. Uh, uh, Three hundred. Three hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. So again, from the cookies, eighty calories. From the milk, let's just say another eighty calories. So we double the 14 billion calories he's ingesting. 30 billion calories he's ingesting. And he's burning 250 million, right, from the running. So there's a lot. So he's going to be storing that probably as that adipose post. fat. Hence why he's got the belly like jelly. Makes sense, especially if he's going to be spending the rest of the 364 days of the year that sitting agree. on his bum, letting the elves do all the work. <laughs> so I can understand now, but he needs that energy, obviously, for the next. It's
1: a taxing night. It would it's be a taxing a tough night.
2: Um, Seven billion chocolate chip cookies are eaten per year in the United States. How many? Seven billion. So Santa eats one-sixth of the United States annual chocolate chip cookies in one night. What well, they eat in a year, he eats one-sixth of that so in ma- one night.
1: he's matched the milk intake. Yeah. But he's only one-sixth of the cookie intake. Yeah, he needs
2: to step his game up, yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, so... Santa Claus is holding on to a fair bit of those calories. And as we know, unused calories is stored as mass.
1: Yes. (laughs) And that's presumably going to be taxing on the reindeer during during the 36 hours.
2: Well, yeah, depending on how heavy he ends up being. And we'll get back to the reindeer in a second. But let's talk about the milk. Go back to the milk for a second. So in addition to the calories, milk we know has a lot of calcium. And as we know in regards to physiology and calcium homeostasis, we need a certain range of calcium. Too yeah. low, hypokalemic. Too high, hyperkalemic. Now, yes. I, I assume if you're consuming as a single human being the equivalent uh, milk intake of an entire country uh, in <laughs> a single night that a country would do in a single year... There could be some problems.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what's going on? Well, um, in that, that one cup of milk... How I spoke about that's eighty seven percent water, one hundred and forty nine calories, seven point six grams of protein. Again, this is full cream milk. Uh, also, what's in there is, like you mentioned, quite a bit of calcium, and the the number is two hundred seventy six milligrams of calcium per cup. Okay, so what's what's happening now with this calcium? Now, the first thing I'll I'll factor in is that. When you usually with hypercalcemia, so this is excessive amount of calcium within your blood, it doesn't usually come about from too much intake. So it's actually very rare to get hypercalcemia from because we pee it out really well. Um, well, you'd you'd have to consume a lot, firstly, um, but yeah, you probably have a fairly good um, excretion mechanism, but also your homeostatic regulation of the calcium probably would be rectifying this issue
2: so calcium issues are mainly due to handling problems
1: yeah usually it's it comes down to the activity of osteoclasts so either right. either through their growth stimulation so overstimulation from maybe a endocrine disorder yeah or if there's maybe even bone tumors that cause an extra amount of reabsorption of calcium in the bone right so, we, so when we look at all the calcium in our body, Which is the most abundant metal in our body is calcium. 99% of it is in our bones. Oh. So only less, you know, 0.9% is actually in our extracellular fluid. And this is presumably where his calcium will go. Oh. Because in that 36 hour period, I'm guessing that he won't have time to put that into his bones. Oh, so you don't think he's big boned? Uh, He could be. He could be. But I don't think he'll have that physiological capacity to put. All that calcium into his bones within that short
2: period of time. Gotcha. But maybe after he finishes, goes home and sits down and relaxes, he could start, start storing. So is he hy- hyperkalemic? Then? So let's,
1: let's just factor this in now. So he's taken a lot of milk in, therefore a lot of calcium. Um, firstly, what I'll mention is the bioavailability of calcium. That means getting it orally, digesting whatever the food is, absorbing it, getting it through your liver and then into your blood – the bioavailability is only 30%. Okay. So he's going to lose two-thirds of what he ingests. Good. From a, from, a, <laughs> from a calcium standpoint. Now, there are some foods that even decrease the absorption ability even more. Like? So certain foods with high in oxalytic acid. So these are usually green leafy stuff.
2: No, I don't think the dude's eaten a salad no, for I a long so, time.
1: The only thing I could find was the another acid called phy- phytic acid. Yep. which apparently is in, in foods with higher fiber. So maybe if the cookies had... Whole of, meal. Yeah, whole meal. No nah. That could impact it a bit. It doesn't. It's okay.
2: chocolate chip, high sugar, highly processed, low fiber cookies. Okay, all right. Yeah.
1: So with that said, let's just be conservative and say that he's only absorbing 30% of the calcium from his milk. All right, that's fair. Okay. A couple of other things just to factor in. Um, based on the exercise that he's likely to be doing, he's... Probably lo- losing about one hundred and twenty-six milligrams an hour of calcium through sweating.
2: All right. Okay.
1: And he's wearing a you know a lot of big suit, big suits, so yeah. even more. Um, but I try to I try to work out what a what a person would require for running a marathon from a calcium standpoint. All right. Because as you know, calcium is very important for action potential, but also muscle contraction. Very so much so. It's not easy. It wasn't easy to find, but I came across. A marathon runner, to run a marathon, would need around 1,300 milligrams for a day if they're running quite a lot of... If they're running 42 kilometers. kilometers. Yep. And how many is Santa getting? So, um, (laughs) Santa is running, because a marathon's 42 Ks. Yes. So, Santa's running 84,000 marathons. In 36 hours. In 36 hours. So, he's probably world champ ultra marathon runner. Yes, so he will be requiring one hundred and ten million milligrams of calcium. Okay, that's what he requires. And how many is he getting? Uh, twenty four. Well, he takes in twenty four billion milligrams, <laughs> but factor in he'll only absorb thirty percent of that, right. or at least get into his blood. So, about eight hundred million. So he's about seven times over the limit of his calcium recommended calcium intake, which is actually not that much no. considering how much milk is ingesting. So, with that said, as I said earlier, um, most of the calcium that we have in our body, 99%, is in our bones. Yeah. So, that's not really easily accessible for us. It takes a bit of time to release that calcium into our blood, mm. through the mostly through the activity of osteoclasts. So, only 1% of our calcium is in our extracellular fluid. So, that's where this calcium is going to go, this eight times the amount.
2: I would say that Santa Claus, though, being the super, superhuman that he is, probably has overactive osteoblasts. Okay. And I reckon he's taking a lot of that plasma uh, calcium. Well, maybe he's just p- plasma urina- calcium. urinating it out. Yeah, he's probably a urination machine too. Mm-hmm. And he probably has to wear a high, heavy-duty nappy <laughs> throughout his travels. I so don't think he's got time to stop and
1: wee. Well, that explains his, like, baggy pants. Yes. Yeah. Or he could just wee off the edge of the sleigh, I suppose. Well, has, like, a, a, a bag. Just off the side of his leg.
2: Oh, so maybe he's got a catheter. Catheter in you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, let's keep going a little bit more. Yeah. So the recommend, well, your blood, your blood calcium level should be between eight point five to ten milligrams per deciliter. That's per hundred mils. So when you factor in a person that maybe have six liters of blood, that's about five hundred milligrams of calcium in your blood. Okay. So I reckon he's exceeded that. Yeah, I think so. Now the problem with calcium at least well both intracellular and extracellular. Intracellular if you have too much calcium, it's not a very it's not a very abundant cation in your cells. And the main reason for that it's stored in your cells, but in compartments like in mitochondria or psychoplasmic reticulum. But if it's let out as a free ion within your cell, your cell will basically die. And that's usually the process of apoptosis. Mm. It just releases calcium and then that generates calcium-dependent activity. So what are you saying with Santa? Well, he has to regulate that pretty well. But uh, also looking at the extracellular, there's going to be certain activities where he will need a bit more, that being action potentials of n- neurons and muscles. So they're probably going to be requiring additional calcium ions. To I don't think he needs a great deal of clotting, which is another use of calcium. So, I think basically it's just action potentials and muscles that are going to be utilizing um, this calcium. Now, before I get into some of the maybe side effects of what he may experience from the calcium, just something I will add to this. Do you think, judging by his activity and potentially his altitude, he may experience any degree of acidosis? Because that could impact the way that calcium binds to albumin.
2: Uh, probably. What do you think? I mean, I know that if he's moving as quickly as we're going to tell the listener that he's moving, um, he's going to have a huge amount of carbon dioxide building up. Uh, So I would say that he's at least having some degree of respiratory
1: acidosis. Okay, so if he's retaining a bit of CO2, that means he'll go into an acidotic state. Yeah. Um, That will impact the way that um, hydrogen will then bind to albumin and then albumin is a a on of calcium, and then because it's taken on the buffering effect of hydrogen, it will rel- let go more calcium. So he's probably even more hyperkalemic because yeah. of this reason. So what will he experience from being hyperkalemic? Well, the main issue is his excitable cells. So, like we said, ne- neurons and muscles. What it what it kind of does is it plays around with the way that sodium can get into the cell. So. It Surprisingly, it actually dampens excitable cells down, so it makes them less excitable, harder to depolarize. So therefore, he will experience things like um, slower or absent reflexes. He's going to maybe be more lethargic, but you wouldn't really think he is. because He's not really demonstrating that anyway. He may develop constipation. Um, That could also be the low fibre. I don't think he poos
2: in that (laughs) 36-hour time period. There's no time again unless the nappy.
1: And then if it gets really serious, he can start to become confused and uh, hallucinate.
2: Which I would too, to be honest, (laughs) after doing this. But let me – I reckon this is my my, uh, uh, assumption based off uh, first principles. If he's got so much calcium in his system and and he's functioning well enough to be able to deliver these presents every year, right, I think – his body, his metabolism, and his physiology has shifted to use calcium as the positive ion that it is in the action potential, probably to replace the sodium influx. I reckon when he goes to spark an action potential to send a signal to tell a muscle to contract, I reckon calcium is used as the prime cation, the positive ion that does this. Usually it's sodium. I reckon calcium's doing it. I reckon his body is shifted to use calcium Instead in this of process. Sodium. Yep. Yeah, okay. And then ultimately he's going to have a, his sarcoplasmic reticuli that holds calcium in the muscle, which then needs to be released to tell muscle to contract. I reckon his sarcoplasmic reticuli are huge. I think he's got okay. these giant stores of calcium. I think Santa Claus's physiology has adapted so well that he takes this calcium. His osteoblasts are, are overactive chucking that calcium into his bones. He's got crazy strong bones, this man, which he needs withstand because all the these muscles, just wait, just wait till you hear the forces that this man has to withstand. Uh, but also I think the
1: calcium's used in that action potential and muscle contraction. So that's basically calcium, just a couple of potential therapies that he can consider if he does experience these issues. Uh, he'd obviously have to increase his fluid intake because his kidneys are trying to excrete a lot. So he probably should go on to probably an IV solution of normal saline throughout the night. Uh, a loop diuretic wouldn't go astray because that can increase the excretion. Yeah, but it would be peeing again all night. That's right, but he'll just maybe need that bag in place. Wow,
2: the price you pay for delicious milk and cookies. And
1: then calcitonin, if as a as a another means of excreting the calcium.
2: I still think his physiology is adapted very well to this because. As we're going to find out right now, uh, we need to talk about how quickly this man moves, right? So we said that when he lands on a house, he's running, he's going down the chimney, delivering the presents, going back up around about 20 metres per house, right? But he then has to go from house to house. And so what we calculated was considering all the houses he needs to visit around the world, that the, let's just say the average distance between one house to another is one kilometre. So what that means is in total around the world, because he has to visit 177 million homes each a kilometre apart, he's travelling 177 million kilometres and he needs to do this within 36 hours, which means Santa Claus and the sleigh is travelling at 4.9 million kilometres per hour. That's quick. That's moving quick. right? Now, the highest velocity reached by a human in Earth's atmosphere, because Santa Claus is still going through Earth's atmosphere, I assume he's not going out into space to do this.
1: No, it would make sense. Right?
2: So, in Earth's atmosphere was a US Air Force uh, jet called an X-15, and it travelled 7,273 kilometres an hour. So, Santa Claus is travelling 674 times faster. faster than that. Crazy. Now... That's just from the reindeer. And that's from the reindeer, right? Right. The mark speed that is travelling. So if you calculate so mark speed is simply how many times faster than the speed of sound are you traveling,
1: right? So, so you take so one is it mark or mach?
2: I say mark. Okay. Mac? Mach speed? Mark speed. Look, we are biologists.
1: Okay. So is one mach just the speed of sound? So it's a bit faster than a thousand Ks an hour?
2: Basically, yeah. One thousand two hundred and thirty four kilometers an hour basically uh, the, the speed of sound so if you take the speed of an object like the sleigh and divide it by the speed of sound you get the mark okay Or Mac Santa Claus is traveling at 3970 mark that's that's the mark speed right so mark is all about the compressibility of the gas in front of it because if you think about it when you travel through an atmosphere there's gases it's in the in atmosphere front of you. mainly oxygen and nitrogen right so when you travel really fast, that gas becomes a medium that you need to travel through like swimming through water becomes really difficult because the air molecules can't get out of the road fast enough. So you as you travel faster and faster need to push through it and split those molecules out the road. Now, if you're let's just say a rocket that, you know, is re-entering Earth's atmosphere, so a rocket that we have as human beings, that's traveling at Mark twenty five.
1: Does now, there have to be a particular speed to get back into the atmosphere? Like do you have to go to a certain speed? Like you can't just No, not to get back in. Really? But but I, it's, thought, I thought it's the other way around. I thought you can just float out but no, get opposite, back in. Opposite.
2: Really? Because you're gonna overcome gravity pulling you back into Earth.
1: Now, like say oh, like a hot air balloon, right? Yeah. You can just keep floating up and up and up until you're into space. Right? Yeah, but that's
2: because you're lighter than air. Yeah.
1: But what I mean is You can't... Once you're outside the atmosphere, you can't just float back in, right? You're outside the... No, you can
2: definitely float back in. So, for example... Okay. Yeah, so the International Space Station has to actively maintain its orbit. It's not just orbiting.
1: But it is... Yeah. But it is travelling at speed, but it just seems to be relative to the Earth's rotation, right?
2: Yes. so it is travelling basically... The International Space Station is constantly falling to Earth yeah. but it's travelling so fast that it's falling and as it falls down, it's falling away from the curvature of the Earth. Mm. So it is constantly falling to Earth yeah. and, it, and it, does can- dro- it does drop so it, you need to boost it back, back out a little bit, right? Yeah. So that, there's, n- in micro- there's still gravity there. You've got to travel a fair way to get out. Of- I mean, think okay. about it. We still experience the moon's gravity because we have tides. Good right. Point. So we're definitely experiencing Earth's gravity even when we're on the moon. Okay. Right? right? And we're still experiencing so one third of the tidal forces is actually from the sun. Right. So there's there's all there's still gravity, yep. so you're still going against the gravity. But when you're falling back in, you're falling not just at the speed of gravity, which is 9.1-ish metres per second squared, but that starts to accumulate and go faster and faster and faster. So anyway, if you're travelling at Mach 25, which is the speed of a shuttle re-entering our atmosphere, it has to push those gas molecules out the road. So the nose or the cone of that shuttle gets crazy hot and really red, right? And it's pushing the molecules out. It's actually is going so fast through the molecules, it can't push them out the road. Rudolph. Rudolph. It, it splits those molecules and turns the molecules of the gas in the atmosphere into ionised plasma, which makes the nose of the shuttle red, red, hot. Now, what's the nose, what's the, the equivalent nose of Santa Claus's sleigh? The front reindeer? Is the front reindeer Rudolph? Yeah, of course it is. Okay. Um, the red-nosed reindeer. His nose is red, Matt. Simply because he's pushing gas molecules out the road, they are becoming ionized plasma and he has a super burning hot nose close to the surface of the sun. That's right. Now think about this, right? I said Santa Claus is traveling at a mark speed of 3,970. The (laughs) space shuttle is going mark 25. Now the thing is this, if you ask the question, well, what sort of mark can a human being experience before they have issues? It's actually, the speed is got nothing to do with human physiology. Human beings, theoretically, can travel at any speed. Light speed. As long as it's constant.
1: I've seen movies like that.
2: Yes. So, those movies are obviously correct. The problem is when you accelerate and decel, accelerate and decelerate. And so this is when we look at g-force. So g-force is all about the acceleration and and deceleration. So basically g-force is the force experienced by an object with reference to the acceleration due to gravity. So for example, 1g is the amount of force that gravity is placing on us right now, which is 9.8 meters per second squared. So if I were to hold an apple and let go of it, that's one G's worth of force. The, the apple is experiencing one G. Now, if you multiply that by two, that's two G, multiply it by three, three G. <laughs> now, if you have, if you're experiencing a positive G force, what that means is the blood's gonna rush to your feet, right? If you're experiencing a negative G force, blood is gonna rush to your brain and eyes. Now, Santa is doing a lot of... If
1: you're moving in that direction, up and down, right?
2: Not necessarily, but mostly, yes. Santa does a lot of acceleration and braking. So, think about this. Santa Claus is travelling at 4.9 million kilometres an hour. But, he's going from house to house at that speed and then having to stop. So, he's travelling at 4.9 million kilometres an hour, only for one kilometre, and then has to... Break. Dead, dead stop to zero kilometers an hour. Then has to accelerate back to four point nine million kilometers an hour for one kilometer, Next and then suburb, yeah, and then break again. So, and he needs to do this within one one thousandth of a second. It's a lot of g forces to get all that to get to all those houses. So, he experiences a negative g force and a positive g force, depending on whether you're accelerating or braking, of one hundred and thirty eight million g. Right. post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, let's think about this. If you just take a look at 3G, somebody's blood pressure is going to double. Somebody's respiratory rate is going to change. Heart rate is going to go so up. So
1: this is a an aeroplane can fly at this speed?
2: That's right. So, for example, if you are accelerating right to... To, th- to 3G. From
1: zero to 3G. Yeah.
2: Blood's going to rush to your feet. Okay. Moves away from your brain. Yep. Once blood's moved away from from your brain, now whether it be due to this gravity change, whether it be due to some sort of vasovagal effect, or whether it be due to me choking you out, you've got around about four to six seconds of useful consciousness.
1: So that, is that where the pilots have to do certain manoeuvres to stop that happening?
2: Yes. So if you think about it, all the blood's going to... You've got venous pooling. So the blood pools in your venous system and it pulls down at your feet. And so they tense, they contract all the muscles in their body and they try and do very short, shallow, sharp breathing to maintain oxygen intake and outtake because there's a lot of compressive forces placed on the body uh, as well. Um, so the way you should think about it is acceleration... G force, positive G force, it's mimicking hypovolemic circulation. Almost like you you're hemorrhaging. So what happens when you hemorrhage, Matt? What happens when you have hypovolemia physiologically? Heart rate goes up. Well, that's how you compensate, yeah. So you compensate. Your sympathetic nervous system gets activated. Same thing happens. So Santa Claus is experiencing this to a significant degree. He's actually experiencing 138 million G force when he accelerates and a negative 138 million G-force when he breaks. So to stop him from passing out every time he does this, he needs a compression suit, which is the red suit that he wears, man. Yeah. Now, he's got the the, bl- the black boots, crazy strong compression to stop that Venus pulling down at the legs, but he's also got the hat, and that's going to be a huge compressive force. Now, he's so strong due to that bone density, right, that's that true. he's got from the calcium and the muscular strength that he has from having to carry all of these presents, and I'll tell you how many presents he's carrying in a second, that he can contract his muscles so strongly, his bones resist the compressive forces, and this suit, if you were to put Santa's suit on and you were to experience the compressive forces, you'd be crushed into like a little tin can, right? It's more compressive force than you'd experience at the bottom of the Marianas Trench.
1: Impressive man.
2: A compressive man. No.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a how he's does, a tough how, sob. How, Santa Claus. How does the um the hat? His little um black. Uh, he doesn't wear a black hat. He wears a red hat with oh, is white that, fur. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Black, black shoes. Black, black shoes. Black boots. That's right. So the red hat. Yeah. How does that overcome the his skull? Look, his bone
2: density is very <laughs> strong, and I don't know how that's compressing that's the vascular mean. supply within the skull. Um. But I think Santa Claus, he's got such strong neck muscles, I think. Because if you're accelerating to 4.9 million kilometres an hour, from zero to that within a kilometre, well, within one one-thousandth of a second, you to be also honest.
1: also his suit's possibly got some titanium or lead lining or something to overcome the...
2: Well, I heard that Santa Claus actually contacted NASA and his suit's made out of the same um, material, material that the, the tiles of the NASA shuttles are made. Right. Yeah. So this man is wearing uh, but I know that heat Ru- resistance Rudolph and compression
1: is resistance. Copping the, the the crux of the the compressive forces. All on the nose, but if you have but a look,
2: his nose is shaped so perfectly that it breaks that um, uh, the gases that is traveling through, so that all the other reindeer and Santa Claus don't have to experience uh-huh. it.
1: So he, he doesn't really need that. No,
2: Santa's not really experiencing those forces. Um, uh, sorry, the, the the temperature that Rudolph is, but he still, you know, he likes to protect himself, and his suit's made out of the same material as the NASA space shuttle. So you know, it's it's absolutely amazing the type of stuff that uh, Santa Claus is going through.
1: Should we quickly talk about altitude then?
2: Let's talk about altitude and then I want to talk about the amount of presence he's carrying. And then we can talk about him going through the chimney. That's, that's called the payload. Yes, yeah. yes. All right, so how, how high up do you think he's going to travel from house to house?
1: Well, first of all, I came across the most efficient flight path that he, that he's recommended to take. Right. And this is actually by Lufthansa, the oh, yeah. German um, flight Company, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the airline. They're company. an airline, so you don't have so to call them a flight company. But. They, they. I don't know how this this actually works in terms of time zones because this actually wouldn't work. It's maybe he's reversing this this path. But they've basically suggested that he goes from North Pole to Europe, then to the Middle East, up into Russia, then down to Asia, across to Africa, then jumping across to the Americas. So he will have to traverse the Atlantic. So across to North America, South America, and then up to Hawaii, New Guinea, then finish in Australia, New Zealand. But Which is interesting
2: because we experience yeah, Christmas, Christmas for, before everywhere so else maybe on the planet. he has to reverse this. Yeah, Lufthansa
1: did, did a bad job.
2: Plus, he doesn't, I mean, my, my assumption is not everybody celebrates Christmas. I think that's a fair assumption. Yep. Uh, and so he's probably not delivering every single
1: every household in all, how these you go to all these continents though. He would, It'd be safe That's to true. assume that every continent will have um, children to deliver to. So, what about the altitude? Well, let's have a look at the most efficient uh, altitude to fly. Right. For a, a just a, a commercial flight? Yes. Yep. So, the higher you go, the less drag. Because so there's less molecules. Correct. So, there's technically, um, the higher you go, the more efficient you will be able to travel. The easier it is on Rudolph's nose. However... Um, at least with aeroplanes, they require a, combust- a combustion en- engine, which is the um, essentially burn in fuel, which does require oxygen. And so the problem there is, as you go higher, it's going to become less efficient in terms of that particular um,
2: what's it, what's the word
1: like um, chemical reaction. But Santa's not using a chemical That's, reaction. Let me, I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. So. Usually, when it comes to the. Unless he works off reindeer farts. Is <laughs> that it, how they, they build it, their speed? When it comes to a commercial airline, it's somewhere between 35,000 to 42,000 feet. They use feet. Um, so that's the most efficient, that's the sweet spot to travel. Um, taking into consideration the drag, less weather events to have to tackle, but also not few enough oxygen that you won't be able to burn your fuel. Okay. But the highest that a, a airplane has flown is one hundred twenty three thousand feet, and that was a, a Mig jet, a Russian Mig jet. Concorde Co- is that a commercial jet? No, that's a that's the highest jet ever. Oh, okay. Uh, Concorde would typically cruise at fifty to sixty thousand feet. Yeah, but that don't exist anymore. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, now. This is this is taken into consideration that the cabin of the plane is pressurized. The highest that you can probably, well, most unpressurized cabins, they generally don't go beyond ten thousand feet. Unpressurized. Unpressurized. Right. So, if it's an open, well, fuselage. Yeah. Yeah they can't go much higher than 10,000. They can probably go into the 12s. But Just because the oxygen diminishes yeah. so much, yeah. yeah. And obviously it gets cold. So you need to take that into consideration. Yeah, and even once you go to 40,000, you're at negative 57 degrees Celsius. Right, a bit cold. It's, yeah. it's cold. But Santa well, Claus would be used to that temperature. But whether that that speed that, you know, Rudolph's in, whether that will heat, heat them up? Maybe. Plus could, he's got the suit. Yeah. So the consideration I guess I'm trying to make here is if his sleigh is open... At open cabin, cabin. I assume so, yeah. Um, he's not going to be able to pressurise it. Yeah. So, he can only go at a certain height. So, let's… So, 10,000 feet. Arguably. Yeah. So, now let's have a quick look at pressure changes in terms of all the gases that are acting in the atmosphere at different levels of altitude. Yep. So, we know it's sea level. What's the, the pressure, the atmospheric pressure? Well, what, 560 millimetres of mercury? 760. Oh, 760, yeah. Yeah, So what does this basically mean in terms of this number?
2: Well, if if I were to stand next to the ocean and I would put a tube above me, a one metre in diameter tube that goes all the way up out into the atmosphere, all the gas molecules above me in that tube would weigh or place a pressure, exert a pressure down onto me of 760 millimetres of mercury. Okay. And I always say to my students, well, they always say, how can we don't feel it? It's just well because you're born into it. Yeah. Of course you don't feel it. So anyway, that's sea level. But anytime you go up, there's less molecules above you face putting pressure on you,
1: right? And what are the what are the main gases? Nitrogen predominantly. And uh, so that's seventy something percent.
2: Yeah. Then oxygen.
1: Oxygen's twenty one percent.
2: Then uh, carbon dioxide. Yeah. And then trace gases.
1: Okay. So let's just focus on oxygen now. So twenty one percent of the atmosphere is oxygen. So as you go up in altitude, this percentage doesn't change, but what does change is the pressure. Right. Happy with that? So if you go up to ten thousand feet, which is kind of the ceiling for an unpressurized cabin, that is five hundred and twenty-three um, millimeters of mercury uh, of just pressure. So when you okay, do, so
2: twenty so percent of that is only going to be around about a thousand millimeters of mercury worth of oxygen pressure. Yeah, So, or actually, oh, sorry, sorry, 500 uh, millimeters of mercury worth of oxygen pressure ish, right?
1: Yeah, so let's go quickly go back and just say at 760, which is sea level, yeah, um, the, the oxygen in the air is 100 is then 159 millimeters of mercury. Yeah, happy with that? Yeah, you go up to 10,000 now, it's dropped to 110, right? Now, normally in your avioli you would have 104 millimetres of mercury. So down at your alveoli level, so once you've gone through your mouth or down the, the whole tree of your yeah. um, bronchioles and et cetera, yeah. once you're right down to the alveoli where gas exchange occurs, it's 104 millimetres of mercury.
2: And it needs to be that so gas, so the oxygen can jump from your lungs into your blood. Yes, that's right. Right. So if you go any lower than that in the atmosphere, it means that there's not enough pressure in your lungs to throw the oxygen into your bloodstream. Correct. And that's why 10,000 feet is
1: the limit because that's the same pressure as your lungs. So when you go to 10,000 feet, the partial pressure, we we should have brought this back in a bit earlier, but when you do the percentage, 21% in the atmosphere, it causes the partial pressure. So the partial pressure now at 10,000 feet drops to 110. Now when you go across to your alveoli, this is now going to be about 67 uh, partial pressure millimeters of oxygen. So this is probably now getting to the point where you're not getting overly efficient with gas exchange crossing into your blood. Yeah. Make sense?
2: Yeah, because you, you, like I said, in the lungs it needs to be a, about 100 millimetres of mercury worth of oxygen pressure to jump from your lungs into your blood. If it goes below that, the pressure's not high enough. And think about the pressure as the pushing force. So there's not enough pushing force to push the oxygen into your blood once you go above 10,000 feet. So Santa has to be at around 10,000
1: feet, right? Yep. Now, just to give you one more point of reference, let's go to the highest mountain on the planet, so Mount Everest. This yep. is 29,000 feet. Okay, so the the, barometric, the barometric, Metric. barometric pressure there is 253. Okay? Right. Lower. It's much lower. Now, a couple of factors just to bring in here is water vapour pressure is 47. It's fairly steady through the pressure ranges. So there, that means... Water is taking up space at 47 millimetres of mercury in your lung alveoli. Mm -hmm. Now, you're also going to be producing carbon dioxide because you're doing activity. So, you need to be expelling that out of your blood into your alveoli. So, that's taking up space. So, you're only really left with 47 millimetres of pressure, partial pressure of oxygen at Mount Everest. That's with just breathing in.
2: But there's no children up on top of Mount Everest that Santa needs to deliver to.
1: No, but this is the... What he may have to consider altitude changes. Changes. So, what do you think he's doing? Well, this basically, but then, as you know, with people who climb Mount Everest, they're not generally just breathing in atmospheric air, they're taking oxygen bottles up with them. So, okay. Sandy, you reckon, has got a couple of tanks? Well, if you, if you look at the oxygen um, uh, for Mount Everest, so if you go, let's go to Mount Everest, what did we say the height was? So we'll call it 30,000. So if you're breathing uh, oxygen, pure oxygen, you can bring it up fairly to a, to a, um, a, livable, a livable physiological amount yeah. if you're breathing in pure oxygen because uh, that takes out all the other gases. It gets nitrogen and so forth. So now you're just purely oxygen and that, that pressure, even though it's at 253 millimetres of mercury, if it's 100% or close enough to it, you can get that partial pressure of oxygen at your alveoli, which is close to the at sea level.
2: Now, the thing I'm worried about most of all with Santa doing this is that he's actually ascending to these altitudes very quickly. Yeah. Now, when people usually climb a mountain, they have to do it quite slowly yeah. because they can get something called acute altitude sickness. So is Santa Claus susceptible to getting... Firstly, what, I, what is acute altitude sickness? What happens when you get it? And do you think Santa Claus is susceptible to getting this?
1: Depends what he was doing during the year. Or so oh, he could be doing training. So if you acclimatize, the, the efficiency of your body if you've spent time acclimatizing is significant. So some of the things that body will go through if you do spend the time to acclimatize, your pulmonary ventilation is much more improved so that just the way that you ventilate your lung is much better. You increase a huge amount of red blood cells. So these carry the oxygen. So you're more efficient at carrying oxygen in your blood. Your... Diffusion capacity, so this is getting oxygen across your alveoli membrane, is heightened. Um, the vasculature, not only in your lung but in your body, has also improved, and then also your cellular ability to um, work at kind of hypoxic levels is much better. So,
2: so if he does altitude training yep. or hypobaric tra- training, this could he could be adapted to this which means he might do a lot better and not get this altitude sickness. Because in altitude sickness, you you can get confusion and dizziness. La- the lack of oxygen leads to a whole bunch of vascular changes, oxidative stress changes, leads to fluid being shifted in and out of the cells of your tissues, including your brain. Your brain can swell
1: and you can get a whole bunch of really nasty effects. Yes, that's right. But so I calculated just quickly... Um, the ceiling for him, so he can't really exceed this, if he has no oxygen on board, he can't really go beyond 20,000 feet to travel, even though he's up and down. yeah, He can't really go an hour at that, at, 20, at 23,000 feet, without any oxygen, he's going to start to come into this altitude sickness. Or the maximum he can go with oxygen is 47,000 feet.
2: Right. The other thing with altitude sickness is it doesn't usually kick in for about two days. Well, so he
1: might not get it until he's back home, feet up. Well, I'm going to disagree with that. Okay. And this comes from anecdotal evidence from me. Yes. Well, actually not me personally, but the person I travelled with. So I was in South America backpacking and we were in the top of Chile uh, at sea level and we went up to Bolivia, La Paz, which I think is about 4,000 metres. Now, we went from sea level to 4,000 metres in half a day. Yeah. And I'm telling you, um, within a few hours... I noticed the difference, but my friend got really, really sick. So, so sick,
2: but he didn't have cerebral edema.
1: No, but he was like or pulmonary edema, which are the big very ones. Very fatigued, nauseous to the point where we were crossing the the border from Chile to Bolivia. He, which was a big mountain pass, and he had issues with his passport and visas, and they they weren't going to let him in. And he mm. was like, "Just leave me here." Wow couldn't be stuffed so i think that's so he got i think quite while, quickly well
2: that is altitude sickness that is different to the cerebral edema and pulmonary edema True. induced which does usually happen a couple of days afterwards yep and that that is due to a consistently low oxygen and the vascular
1: oxidative yeah, so changes two main things with acute altitude sickness that santa may uh, experience possibly not in the 36 hours, mm. possibly at the end of that 36-hour 30, period or maybe when he gets back to the North Pole. Yeah. Um, c- cerebral edema, as you said, that seems to be due to the hypoxia which then causes vasodilation in the brain tissue, yeah. which then causes fluid to come out into the brain, causing the edema. The other big effect, which is part of the reason why he has that voice that you spoke about at the start...
2: Yeah, gruff, gruff voice. Yeah,
1: yeah. ...is he may be experiencing pulmonary edema. Mm. Now, the reason for that... if it, especially if he's not acclimatised, is as the lung tissue is being poorly ventilated because of the altitude that we spoke about, um, usually the way that the lung tries to compensate for poorly ventilated areas is to vasoconstrict, right? Mm. And so you don't want to bring blood to a part of the lung that's poorly ventilated with oxygen, right? So you vasoconstrict the pulmonary vessels and you take it to other parts of the lung that maybe has better ventilation, And so if you keep constricting areas of the lung, it's going to bump up pulmonary pressure. Pressure. So he starts to develop pulmonary hypertension. So the parts of
2: the lung that are healthy that are receiving the blood is receiving high-pressured blood. And it's like squirting it through these vessels and just increasing the fluid buildup in the lung tissue. So poor Sam. But I think you're right. I think in the 364 days off, even though he's at the North Pole, at sea level, which is where the North Pole is... I think he's doing hypobaric, altitude training. Or blood training. doping, blood doping. Well, he could be doing some blood doping. I mean... Uh, APO? I think, yeah, well, I heard Santa is, is definitely a cyclist. So, <laughs> um, all right. Now, can can we move on to... That's attitude done. Can, so, I want to so know... My, t-
1: so my guess is he's not really going much beyond 12,000 feet on his um, highest uh, cruising speed. Twelve thousand feet. Twelve thousand feet. Okay, so he's
2: travelling at four point nine kilometres. So he just doesn't an hour. have.
1: He just doesn't have the ability to carry big oxygen bottles.
2: Probably not. But he's probably got a super cool mask that he's got.
1: I wouldn't be surprised. Built, it, built
2: into his um, suit. No, into his beard. Oh yeah, maybe the beard turns into a mask. Anyway, let's talk about the presents he's carrying. Right. So his sleigh obviously carries enough presents for all the children that are getting presents, whether it be coal or actual gifts. <laughs> And so... Carried in what, though? Well, let's... let's Okay, let's think about this. If he delivers one present per child, we know he delivers more. Assuming that they're not all naughty. Correct. That's, even if they are naughty, it's going to be filled with coal. So 200 grams of coal. For, so for just wait, kids. just wait, just wait, just wait. So he's delivering one present per kid. Each present, let's just say, is 200 grams. That means he's delivering... 124,000 ton or 124 million kilograms of presents to children around the world. Now, 124,000 ton, a standard dump truck carries 15 tons. So Santa's sleigh is likely not just one sleigh but multiple sleighs. So he's probably, now if each sleigh is the size of a dump truck, His reindeer are probably pulling 8,266 sleighs. Right. Filled with presents, which may be toys or coal.
1: I make no judgment. Is he just stopping at depots along the way? I think he's just got it all filled up. Okay. Filled from the beginning, man. He takes it from the North Pole. It's all there. Does he kind of drop off
2: sleighs along the way? I don't think so. He has to take it back. He's got to refill it for the next year. God, you're an idiot. So...
1: That's, think, a lot of, that's a lot of drag. Well,
2: think about this. Well, considering there's a lot of drag, the reindeer need to have a lot of pulling force, the horsepower or yeah. the reindeer power. Rand- reindeer power. right? Yeah. So let's think about this. So he's carrying 124,000 tons of presents. He needs to visit a little over 1,000 homes per second, right? And he's traveling at 4.9 million kilometers an hour. So we can calculate the horsepower here. He's, tra- he's travelling, well, his reindeer are generating 2 billion trillion horsepower. Reindeer power. 2 billion trillion. Now, a space rocket has 34 million horsepower. Santa's slays 2 billion trillion horsepower. So these reindeer are amazing. Hmm. Better than it, better than your goats, Matt. Yeah. And, and Can any- your goats pull uh, 124,000 tonne? Of that'd, anything, better do anything.
1: My goats, oh,
2: ridiculous those
1: goats. So, and and these, uh, reindeer. It's rare that I've at least. You know, some people leave out carrots for them, right? Yes, yes. Anything else? Hay? No. Okay. Who <laughs> leaves I don't know. Maybe I think in some countries. Carrots. In some countries, like I came across that they don't leave cookies. They leave rice pudding and some other things. Poor Santa. Yeah. Who wants
2: rice pudding. Maybe. let well, has got milk in it.
1: Germans could leave a
2: sausage. Yeah.
1: So, so I'm sure he might I'm, get a bit I'm of protein. I'm guessing how some countries will leave some stuff out for the reindeers. But Hope so, they're pretty impressive.
2: They're burning more energy than Santa. That's right. right. I haven't calculated that, but I'm sure it's a lot. Matt, the last thing I want to talk about here is when he goes through all these chimneys, well, there's no, a lot of soot in chimneys. Well,
1: let's go back to what is he carrying his presents in? Uh, a sack. Yeah. And what colour is it? Uh, red. Yeah. So I've deduced the reason for this. Oh, it's scrotum cell carcinoma of the scrotum. Oh, so he's actually not carrying a sack of presents.
2: <laughs> he's just
1: carrying a uh, cancerous scrotum. That's right, and that's where it's derived <laughs> from. So, wow. let me let me explain my point here. Please do. So, as you said, he's traveling up and down a uh, chimney, yeah. which is a lot of uh, chimneys. Um, I can't remember the number on top of my head. Well, we had one hundred and seventy-seven million homes, and Let's just say
2: 50% have chimneys.
1: No, we've got to go with them all. So really? Yep.
2: I don't have a chimney. Okay. Um, do you? No. Okay. So, there we go. Okay.
1: But how does he get into the house then?
2: i give him a, Leave a key under the mat. Okay, fair enough.
1: All right. So, let's just say... The I'll Happy Christmas
2: that breaks a window.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the houses that do have a chimney... He's still going through a lot of chimneys. Yeah. Okay. So, the issue here is... Um, an issue that was brought to the attention of the world in the seventeen hundreds. Seventeen hundreds. Okay, so this is called chimney sweeps carcinoma, also known as soot wart, also known as well. It was confused with the French pox, apparently. So, which I think is just syphilis, right? Um, as you said, it's affecting the scrotum. Yeah, and in those days, anything that was impacting um, the genitals Genitalia. or the junk. Um, was assumed to be... It's yes, the junk a, is what they said. <laughs> a venereal disease, right? Yeah. Now, interestingly, and we still do this t- today, if we have s- some kind of outbreak... On the junk, as you say. Or, or no, just generally. Um, yep. Countries blame other countries for it. So, you know, the the, Brit, oh, yeah, the did, Brits yeah. the Brits blame the French for, and called, hence called it the French pox. Right. You know, the French would call it the Spanish pox. Right. You know, so forth, the... Yeah. Uh, the Polish would call it the Russian pox. Yeah, and so, you know all the I'd call it the Mat pox. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this particular carcinoma was thought at the time to be a venereal condition, yeah. and, and in most cases, they treated it with oh, here we go, like merc- let's mercury paste, of course, or arsenic paste. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great for your scrotum. <laughs> so that wouldn't overly help. No. So it wasn't actually. No, I'll bring in the the reason for why we need to clean clean the chimney out to begin with. So I'm doing a, a slight um, uh, digression point, here. Digression here to why we need chimney sweeps to begin with. Right,
2: I think it's it's obvious, isn't it? Well, um, chimneys fill with
1: soot, and soot needs to be taken away. Otherwise, chimneys clog. But it was especially clogged. bad in England, right? London. Now the reason for this that I came across. London had a great fire in 1665. How great was it? Uh, significantly, it was awesome. A lot of the, the city burnt down. So they brought in the Housing Tax Act at the end of the 17th century. 17th century. Did that say stop making your house out of hay? No. <laughs> what it what it said is you have to pay tax on how many chimneys you have. Okay. So the the more, more
2: chimneys, more tax. Correct. That's that, why is that?
1: Because I guess increased the,
2: likelihood of fires. fires. Yeah. But if you had less chimneys, wouldn't that also be Look, a I didn't go into the right, details right. of this. I okay. just came across that well, there was a like ha- house in Digressing on chimney suites. So
1: what people do, did to get around this, because most rooms still had a fireplace, mm-hmm. is they built these crazy little chutes um, or flutes. Is it flutes? Yeah. Anyway, into the main one. Right. And so a house would have all these small little chimneys into one big chimney that would come out of the top of the house. Gotcha. And so these small little narrow ones would be the ones that would be problematic to Clogged get up with soot. So who do you bring in at that time of the Ghostbusters. You bring in um, kids. Of course you do. And so... They fit in those chimneys. Yeah, that's right. So young, particularly young boys. Oh, young kids. Yep. Okay. As between, opposed to the 43-year-old f- children. <laughs> between the age of four to seven. Yeah. Uh, they would slide down the chimneys and do the cleaning. Right. So these, and a lot of them were from orphanages and so forth, so it's pretty pretty bad. But I guess yep. at, at the time there was no, not, not a great deal of op- options. So they were going down the chimney and they were cleaning it out mostly naked. Really? wearing very lim- limited stuff because it's so hot. You're not going right. to... W- well, well the fire's hot. not on while they're no, in that's there. That's true, but it's still hot. Um, so they're cleaning it out almost naked. And some other things is that you need know, to factor in is they, they'd only rarely bath. So, they would right. only bath once a year. They Once a year? Yeah, very rare. Wow. So, more than you. <laughs> um, and the other thing is they would probably sleep in... That would be the only set of kind of clothing. So, they'd probably sleep... Right. Insane. So, they're covered
2: in soot. They don't clean. Um, but this is a cancer of the scrotum.
1: Yeah. why the scrotum well there, were, there was some hypotheses that um, the, th- the thought was that as the the child would sweat or the sweat would run down the body and then kind of accumulate in the, rug- in rugae, the of rugae of the, the, the testes, scrotum, the yeah. balls
2: the um, <laughs> scrotum yes not yeah. testes. That, that's so it
1: would kind, of kind of just accumulate in that balls region. Balls is not an appropriate term. <laughs> so that's probably not entirely true, but some of, right. the, some of the... the Rougue That is, makes sense, though. The, the rugae is probably a good hypothesis that yeah. it, that the soot gets accumulated in there, particularly if they're not bathing very frequently. Um, there's a lot of sebaceous glands, and the absorption capacity is quite high really? in that region. So that is part of the reason why it's hypothesized that the scrotum was impacted more so. But the the cancerous agent, so the carcinogenic agent, was a benzopyrene um, and that seemed to well, – this is demonstrated more recently – to affect the the guanine. What's the G in yeah, guanine. guanine? Particularly in the genes of the P53 really? on chromosome 17. So they've shown that – I think this was in the 19th century – that if you were to get agents that – were tar-like and this would be a benzopyrene-like material and they did this in rabbits, rubbed it on their ears that their um, squamous cell carcinoma of the ear was enhanced. All right,
2: all right. Let's bring this back
1: to Santa Claus. So Santa Claus is doing a lot of traversing chimneys. chimneys, Probably sweating a lot in that big red suit. Although he is wearing a suit.
2: So do you think that Santa, um, I'm sure he's got some protective... I wouldn't be surprised. He's done this for years. So I think he's significantly aware of, of the risks of this whole uh, soot cancer, or the soot wart that it was called. And I think he's probably wearing some sort of cup around his genitalia to stop the soot from accumulating in that area.
1: But it's, it's remarkable that he keeps his suit so red and clean. Yeah, I think it's soot
2: proof. Okay. Definitely soot proof. Plus the speed that is traveling through the air, that soot just goes whoosh washes
1: straight off matt so that's um the chimney sweep carcinoma that was its history um it wasn't really until the 1840s that they banned children to do this kind of work but it was a huge it was actually the first occupational cancer known it was discovered by percival Pott in 1775 who was a surgeon and they did demonstrate if you got to it early and were able to remove the the tumour the survival was was quite good but all right many didn't get to that point okay well that's depressing <laughs> so Santa Claus
2: is a is a freak of a human being if we can call him a human being so supra
1: physiological
2: look he has to visit 1365 houses per second he's traveling with his reindeer at 4.9 million kilometers an hour at a mark speed of 3970 which is insane. He's experiencing G-forces in the positive and negative of 138 million, which is crazy. He's traveling at altitudes of above 10,000 feet. He is experiencing significant lacks of oxygen, and temperature changes. He's ingesting huge amounts, around about 30, a bit over 30 billion calories and expending around about 250 million calories. Calories. calcium. So so holding on to that, he's hyperkalemic, but we believe that physiologically he's using that calcium in ways that's benefiting him on this Christmas Eve. He's Uh, he's not obese, he's just big boned. He's big boned, that's right. Exactly right. Uh, He's carrying 124,000 tonne of presents and probably carrying maybe around about 8,266 dump truck size sleighs to carry this. His reindeer are amazing. Rudolph's nose—they're probably better, really. Is uh, it's all on them? I think they're 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 breaking air speeds. Well, at least Rudolph is uh, at four point nine kilometers an hour, which is far greater than a a shuttle re-entering orbit, breaking that air in front of him. Hence his red nose and generating two billion trillion horsepower in doing so. And luckily for us, Santa Claus has protected himself. So, so he does not get... Scrotal cancer. Scrotal cancer. He's wearing a suit that's resisting the, the G-forces that he's experiencing. So a compressive suit. And that compression is obviously also helping him for any edemic or edema-based issues. So, look, I have to take my Christmas hat off to Santa <laughs> and... And the reindeer, really. And to the reindeer and say, look, all... Also, you can deliver heroes. That's right. Also, you can just deliver presents to our kids or Cole, well, your kids. So, this is the science of Santa. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, It's for a bit of fun. You don't need to correct us if we got anything wrong because I'm sure uh, we didn't get anything wrong. So enjoy that. If you want to contact us and wish us a Merry Christmas, please do so. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays. You can send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. You can contact us on social media, predominantly me, uh, Dr. Mike Todorovic, uh, D-R-M-I-K-E, t-o-d-o-r-o-v-i-c and you can subscribe to our youtube channel dr matt dr mike and also leave a five-star review for us please i'm so desperate for a five-star review saying how much we've helped you and if you send us an email from here on forward i will read that email out unless on on the uh on the next podcast episode unless you tell me not to do so but please send an email you can ask questions you can just state comments whatever it may be suggested topics suggested topics but uh write something in we'll read it out on the uh, at the end of each podcast uh and thank you for your support uh we love you all and have a wonderful wonderful holiday